We're uh, continuing this morning uh, in our short series from the book of Micah, and uh, we're looking at what is a very familiar passage today at this uh, Christmas time, and we're thinking about a promised ruler. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Micah 5, or the words will come up on the screen if you'd like to follow them there. Micah chapter 5 and verses 2 to 4. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that reveals your plans and your purposes. Thank you for your word that reveals who you are in the wonderful Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you'd open your word up to us this morning that we could understand a little bit more about who you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. Anybody know where that quote comes from? Sorry? A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah, Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. Um, you may have heard a, a parody of it uh, in a BT advert uh, recently. Um, but we're not going to look at A Tale of Two Cities uh, this morning. We're going to look at the tale of one little town and one that was promised to come from it. But before we do that, I want you to think, as you heard those words, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, where do you feel this morning? Are you in a good place? Is it the best of times for you? Are you really excited about what Christmas has in store and things are going really well for you? Or is it more towards the worst of times? Are things not so good? You may be struggling, struggling with work struggling with relationships, struggling with money, whatever it might be, struggling in your faith. Is it the best of times? Is it the worst of times? And we'll come back to that a little bit later on. For Israel, it was kind of the best of times and the worst of times for them, all in one go. 
Here's a little chart that gives a, an indication of where the prophets um, uh, fell. And Micah was prophesying somewhere around uh, 750 BC, just around to uh, kind of 680 or something like that. He spanned a number of kings. King Uzziah had been a very good king. He'd brought uh, real success uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the Jews. He was recorded as being a good king. And uh, Uzziah um, stepped down uh, around about 750 uh, um, BC. He ceased to be king and was uh, um, succeeded by King Jotham, who was also a reasonably good king. And I think Jonathan mentioned him. Uh, uh, and if you look up uh, uh, in Kings, Second uh, Kings 15.34, you can see King Jotham did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had, but he failed to remove the high places. He failed to remove those places of idol worship that ultimately led um, God's people into uh, bad times. He was succeeded by King Ahaz in around uh, 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 730 BC. And he is recorded in 2 Kings 16 as being one of Judah's worst kings. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, we see in 2 Kings 16.2. He tried to make a pact with Assyria, and that ultimately ended in Assyria taking over the northern kingdom and pretty much wiping it out. He was not a good king. Then he was succeeded by Hezekiah, who was kind of a good king, but made a lot of mistakes as well. So during all this period that Micah was prophesying, it was kind of the best of times and the worst of times for the nation of Israel. And from what Chris was telling us and what Jonathan was telling us over the last two weeks, we see that Micah's message was very much one of judgment but with a promise of restoration later on. And it's kind of interesting because um, when we get to uh, looking forward, there was a whole period of about 400 years between 400 BC and the coming of our Lord Jesus on earth that are called the silent years. God didn't speak through his prophets openly there. The prophecies that are recorded in the Bible kind of come to an end at Malachi. I wonder what you think of when uh, you think of Bethlehem, particularly at Christmas time. We uh, sing the words, don't we? O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Do you think it was like that? That's not what the Bible says, actually. It was far from still and peaceful. It was a chaotic um, time, a time when it was kind of so busy because of what was going on with the, the census that had been ordered that Mary and Joseph couldn't even find a room to stay in. It was a chaotic place. Not like that uh, kind of picture um, Christmas card scene that uh, we're so used to. And unfortunately, things don't change. This is a picture in uh, just a couple of years ago in Bethlehem of riots, of chaos. It was the best of times because of what the promise was. But it was the worst of times as well. The Jews were living in a very uneasy um, kind of pseudo-peace with the, the Roman occupiers. It was not 
a good place for them really to be. One of the first things I want us to think about is the fact that Bethlehem was a very small place. We read in in that uh, verse 2, though you are small amongst the clans, the towns of Judah, yet I'm going to do something with you. I don't know if you know, but uh, Bethlehem, the word means house of bread. You know that? quite interesting isn't it when out of Bethlehem comes Jesus who was the bread of life the word uh, and we see that in John 6 35 the word uh, Ephratha the other uh, so uh, name that was given to Bethlehem the kind of region around it means fruitfulness kind of interesting isn't it when uh, um, Jesus talks about how we through him will be fruitful. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. There were several appearances of Bethlehem throughout the Bible. Uh, Does anybody know the first appearance in the Bible of Bethlehem? When was Bethlehem first mentioned? Really testing your knowledge here. Well, it was the place nearby uh, where Jacob's wife, Rachel, was buried. Rachel had a a difficult pregnancy, and um, uh, after the birth of Benjamin, she died. And uh, we see in Genesis on the way um, to Bethlehem, Jacob uh, buried his loved Rachel. It's kind of interesting that we see a birth and a death in the first mention of Bethlehem. Incredible how God uses signs along the way. Naomi and her sons came from Bethlehem. Naomi, if you remember, um, uh, had two two sons. Um, They married The uh, uh, Ruth was uh, um, one of the wives. Her sons then died, and then Ruth went on to uh, meet and marry Boaz. Real key part of the genealogy of Jesus. And then Jesse and David came from Bethlehem. David was a shepherd and a king. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Jesus is talked about being the good shepherd. And Jesus is the king of kings. All these names are mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew. The talk about, you know, all the way right through from Abraham all the way through to Jesus' birth. Bethlehem seemed to be a real key part of the history, the plan that Jesus was laying out. And yet, Bethlehem was a very small place. It didn't gain the kind of uh, um, uh, fame and and fortune that uh, perhaps you might consider. Where It's a place where kings come from. It's a place that's clearly marked out. Why did God choose Bethlehem to be the birthplace of our Savior? Well, I think it's because 
God didn't want there to be any reason why people or places should have a right to boast. Jesus wasn't born in an inn. There was no room. He was born in a, we don't really know where he was born, a very nondescript place. Could have been a cave, could have been a stable. But there's nowhere that's marked, uh, um, you know, that this is where Jesus was born. Because in who we are, we shouldn't be able to boast in anything but in Christ. I wonder if this morning you feel that maybe you're a bit insignificant and small that you can't do anything. Well, I would say to that, that God can use you whatever. Whatever your situation, however important or unimportant you feel you are, however small and insignificant you feel you are, God can use you. God used uh, the town of Bethlehem in a very special way. We read in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. He chooses the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. And so he did with uh, Bethlehem. It was an insignificant place, but uh, so important. If you know the, um, uh, the kind of parallel passage to this in Matthew, where um, we actually see the birth of Jesus, and uh, um, we see that uh, um, the, the, the Magi come, come to visit... Even though the Magi are following a star, they kind of get it wrong, don't they? Because where do the Magi go? They go to Jerusalem. They go to the palace looking for the king in the wrong place. And yet they're quickly uh, put right. But even though Bethlehem was a small place, the, um, the, the priests knew that Bethlehem was going to be where the Messiah came from because they quoted to Herod um, this, this prophecy. So don't be ever under an illusion that God can't use the small things of this world. From small things can come uh, wonderful things. Then the next thing I want us to look at is the fact that from this small town comes one whose origins are from ancient times. Now, I'm sure reading this um, passage, you'll see that there's... uh, no mistaking the fact who this one is. It's Jesus. It's the Messiah. It is the Christ. He is the one that will be ruler. It talks about him um, being a shepherd, bringing good news, bringing peace. Now, when you read the words that, that are in this, Right? He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Was that fulfilled in Jesus' birth? Completely. I don't think so. Right? It uh, certainly is hugely fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is that one. But there's still that bit yet to come. And that bit yet to come is the challenge that Jesus has left us as a church with. So if we look, he will stand and shepherd his flock. What job did uh, Jesus give Peter? Feed my sheep. He hands the role on to us as his people. It says here, 
Um, and his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Did it reach the ends of the earth in Jesus' time? No, it didn't. What did God instruct us as his disciples to do? Go and make disciples of all nations. You see, this prophecy is not just about Jesus uh, the Messiah. It's also about the work that the Messiah will do uh, through his church. This prophecy speaks of a, a wonderful um, uh, forward look to um, what Jesus would bring. But also, it gives us a wonderful look back into his eternal plan, past, present, and future. It kind of, the translation is kind of lost in uh, um, the NIV, but from the original Hebrew... Uh, where it says whose origins are from old, from ancient times, in verse 2, the original Hebrew actually says whose goings forth are from ancient times. Now, a lot of people kind of fall into the trap, particularly at Christmas time, that Jesus was a kind of Christmas invention. Yeah? This was the first time that Jesus appeared. That's not true. We know from God's word that Jesus was there right in eternity past. John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. In Genesis, we see that God, the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, are talking together in creating things. Jesus comes along because um, uh, God decides he needs to intervene come in human flesh in the earth. And he's given the name Jesus uh, or instructed uh, um, Mary and Joseph instructed to give that name by the angel Gabriel. What was Jesus' name before he was Jesus? What was the name of the second person of the Trinity? I think it's the word. God's word, right? The word made flesh. In the beginning was the word. When creation came about and God said, it was these words that put the whole of creation into being. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was there all along, right through eternity past, through to this promise, and through into eternity future. It's fantastic, I think, to think of this wonderful plan that uh, God lays out before us. And I think we can see the markings of his plan um, throughout this story. In verse 5, it talks about uh, when she who is in labor gives birth. What do you think that's referring to? I think if you think uh, just around the Christmas story, you might say, well, that's referring to Mary in labor, giving birth to Jesus. But also I think it's a nod to 
the end times as well. Because what does Jesus talk about um, when he says, when he just asked to describe the end times, he says, it's, these are just the beginnings of birth pains when all things will then be fulfilled. And uh, I've mentioned there, you know, reaching to the ends of the earth. I think that's a sign um, that, uh, you know, of the end times. Because in Matthew 24, what does Jesus say? He says, the gospel will be preached in the whole world and then the end will come. So not only are we looking at a promise of God coming in the form of Jesus, but also we're looking forward to that ultimate fulfillment of uh, um, what Jesus has enabled. And then I think we can see God's handiwork in in the plan um, throughout. So why did uh, God choose Bethlehem? Actually, Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth at the time. But somehow, they had to fulfill this prophecy. So, what were they doing in Bethlehem? They were responding to a need to register, to be part of a census. I find it fascinating that God weaves in things of a human nature to fulfill his uh, prophecies. If it wasn't for that census, that wasn't for that need for Mary and Joseph to register, they would have never had to be in Bethlehem. They would have never been there at that time. And yet God works all these things through. We were discussing, uh, Jonathan and I, um, the uh, tough questions evening that's coming up when we're talking about uh, voting and, uh, and what have you and how we should kind of handle this, this whole um, general election that's uh, faced before us. And I was kind of, uh, th- you know, we were asking the question, you know, what would Jesus do in, in all that? Um, you know, how would he feel all about it? And I found it quite fascinating that one of the first things that Jesus would have had done to him was be registered <laughs> to pay taxes and so on. So, you know, he wasn't just, uh, you know, God coming as man to be at the periphery. He was right at the heart of society and what was needed, whether he uh, believed in what the authorities were doing or not. He was part of that census, part of that registration. He was fully God, but also he was fully human. But also when we look at God's plan unfolding, we see, uh, taking the Hebrew translation of the origins of old, his goings forth from of old, that Jesus not only pops up in uh, um, Genesis, in the creation, in putting everything together, but we also see a number of appearances uh, of him. You know, it says in uh, the word that nobody can look on God and live, and yet there are appearances like the commander of the Lord's army appeared to Joshua. He looked on him, he recognized him as being God, and yet he lived. This was uh, an appearance of Jesus before he came fully in flesh. There's the man in the fourth man in the fiery furnace um, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Probably a, uh, an appearance of, uh, of our Lord before um, he was uh, born in uh, full human flesh. Even in the New Testament, um, the Lord Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. You know, when Saul said, you know, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, came the voice back. So Jesus kind of was popping up as uh, Almighty God um, throughout history. 
not just a Christmas in invention. The first word in our passage today is a little word, but. And I just want us to dwell on this for a little bit. It's a little word with a huge significance. I wonder what kind of person you are. Are you a, a kind of yes, but person? Are you the kind of person that says, well, I'd love to do this, but I'm just too busy. Or I'd love to be involved in this, but I can't uh, afford to at the moment. Is but for you an excuse? When we look at the word but here, in this context, it's not an excuse, but it's an antidote. And a really, really important antidote. And we see the word but appear in several times in Scripture. So in this passage, you know, a siege is laid against Israel, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. In Genesis, you know, the whole world, the thoughts of every man had become only evil all the time, but Noah found favor in the Lord's eyes. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I tell you, you shouldn't even be angry. You've heard it said, uh, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even look lustfully upon a woman. Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. These are not excuses. These are antidotes. We've kind of messed things up. We've misinterpreted things. We've uh, done things wrong, but God has an answer. And in this particular context, God's answer is his son, the Messiah. Israel's in a bad place, the worst of times, but here is the promised one for you, who will be your shepherd, who will bring good news to the ends of the earth. So I go back to the question that I asked you before, is it the best of times or the worst of times for you right now? Because if it's the worst of times, God has a but for you. The but is, actually, my grace is sufficient for you. If it's the best of times, God has a but for you as well. <laughs> my grace is sufficient for you. But also, don't be complacent. You know, look to me. We're going to sing a song um, shortly by uh, Graham Kendrick. And uh, there's a story, backstory to the song in that um, Graham Kendrick was listening to a sermon. And in that sermon, there was mention of uh, uh, a guy who had a phrase, for this I have Jesus. No matter what, for this I have Jesus. Whether it's the worst of times and things are going wrong, for this I have Jesus. If it's the best of times and things are all rosy, for this I have Jesus. 
And I wonder where you find yourself this morning. The best of times or the worst of times. Because whatever, we have Jesus. And we see in this passage the promise that Jesus uh, offers us. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians Second uh, Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. No matter what, my grace is sufficient. And Philippians 4.11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You know, at Micah's time, um, things were pretty bad. The kings were bad. The country was invaded. They were um, being sent off to exile in Babylon. And yet, God remained faithful to them. There was that period of 400 years of silence when God didn't seem to be speaking. But then came the Messiah. Do we feel like now that sometimes God is, uh, is not speaking as loudly as he might? But his word still holds true. He has that promise of eternity future, that promise of not coming the first time, but returning again in all his glory. For all the struggles we might face, God says, but my grace is sufficient for you. And I cheated a little bit on the, um, on the passage. Um, I was initially given verses uh, 2 to 4, but if you look at verse 5, the first words there, um, some versions uh, split it up in where they've done their grouping. But it says, uh, the end of verse 4 says, And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. He will be their peace. The Prince of Peace will be our pre- peace. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men at this time of Christmas. And I think when we, um, when we talk about that, we're almost kind of praying, asking for peaceful times, yeah? Just pray that we wouldn't have these things like the fighting, the uh, terrorist attacks on London Bridge, you know, just let there be peace in this place. But just as Israel was going through these turbulent times of, uh, um, you know, good times, bad times, good kings, bad kings, we know that until Jesus comes again, there will never be lasting peace on this earth. Right? There will always be times of trouble, these kind of birth pains. So what does it mean um, when we see he will be their peace? You know, I think a lot of it goes back to that guy who inspired Graham Kendrick to write the song. Because he had peace with Jesus because he knew whatever happened for this, I have Jesus. So my prayer is for us at this Christmas time, not that we would have a temporary peace, although that would be great to have, but that personally we have a deep inner peace, that trust in Almighty God, that one who's gone from eternity past uh, through to eternity future, the one who holds all things together, the one who created us, who um, formed us in our mother's wombs, the one who wants to have peace with us in a relationship with us so i challenge you to think about uh, you know where you are 
in your best of times, in your worst of times, in your relationship with Almighty God? Have you made peace with God? Do you recognize that whatever you're facing for this, we have Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for how we see your plans and purposes unfold uh, in, uh, in that word. Thank you for the promises, the promises past, the promises present, and the promises future that we see unfolded. Lord, wherever we are this morning, whether it be the best of times or the worst of times, I pray that we would know that peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen.